It's time for Good Morning Nueva York. I'm your host, King Downing. We will be here until 7 a.m. Michael G. Haskins is engineering in studio. If you're waking up now, rise and shine with us. If you're already up, stay with us. And if you're one of the many overnight or essential workers just getting home, let us tuck you in. I am feeling great. With the holiday passing, I spent time with family, which is the high point. The low point is that it's Indigenous People's Day and that the day originated out of a massacre in the 1600s celebrated by the governor of Massachusetts as a day of thanksgiving because his army had lured the warriors out of a native town and slaughtered the elders and women and children who were still there. So it's a mixed day. We make the most of it, though. And we opened up with Maleka by Kwesa. Now, many people will know the song was made famous by Miriam Makiba, but that was not her. Kwesa was a guest on this program. She was part of the London production of The Lion King, and she's got a great voice. And then our theme song, Feeling Good by Andy Bay and the Bay Sisters. On today's program, extra, extra, read all about it. Before the Internet was TV, before TV radio, before radio the telephone, before telephone and newspaper, and before that the grapevine, a monthly newspaper, physical copies and online, calls itself a free paper for free people. Its latest issue has come out, and it's in the newsstands. Its editor-in-chief joins us again today with the top stories. Immigration, Malcolm X, apartheid, and we'll take your calls. But first, weather and transit. It's 45 degrees out, partly cloudy, high today of 51, low of 32. We're inching to that freezing point. Sunrise 656, sunset 430. Weather for the morning, 48 degrees, sunny, 2% chance of rain. Afternoon, 49, partly cloudy, 1% chance of rain. Evening, 40 degrees clear, 2% chance of rain. On to transit, the queue is running local to express. SIR has delays, planned service changes on the 567CE, BDFM, JZ, and QWSIR. Go to mta.info for the latest in your commute. And now on with the program.
That's the live version of Heard It Through the Grapevine by Marvin Gaye. You're listening to Good Morning Nueva York. I'm your host, King Downing. We will be here till 7 a.m. Michael G. Haskins is engineering in studio. And if you were tuned in a moment ago, you heard me talking about rolling backwards in time from the Internet to TV to radio to the telephone to the newspaper and the grapevine. The first way that people got their news, fence to fence, mouth to ear. Well, a monthly newspaper keeps that tradition going by putting out physical copies and an online edition. It calls itself a free paper for a free people. Its latest issue is out now online and on the newsstands. Its executive editor-in-chief joins us this morning with the top stories. And we're going to be talking about immigration, Malcolm X, apartheid, and We'll take your calls. And joining us again was last year in August is John Tarleton, Editor-in-Chief of The Independent. That's I-N-D-Y-P-E-N-D-E-N-T. And if you're a part of our Play at Home audience, you can go to independent.org right now and you can follow these stories and the great photos and graphics that go with it. He is also the producer and host of the Independent News Hour right here on WBAI, which is on Tomorrow, Tuesday, from 5 to 6 p.m. Good morning, John, and welcome back. Good morning, King. It's great to be back on the show. Quick question before we get into the latest edition. With the rollback of all of the COVID protocols and people returning to work, are you seeing more action in your newsstand boxes? Well, definitely. I mean, at the... At the height of the pandemic, when many people uh, were staying at home, you know, those who could, uh, there was a little less activity. But I would say, uh, yeah, definitely since uh, things uh, relaxed uh, in the, over the last couple of years, uh, we're getting more activity. And, of course, uh, the public libraries were closed for a while during the pandemic, and uh, we distribute our paper at more than 60 public libraries uh, in the city, and that uh, curtailed our distribution for a little while, uh, but but you know, thankfully uh, the libraries are fully back open again. The biggest threat for the libraries, of course, is uh, how much uh, Eric Adams is going to cut their budgets and potentially uh, force them to be open fewer hours. But that's uh, still an open question how that's going to uh, play out. But yeah, the <laughs> the biggest plague for the libraries was COVID, and now the the greatest menace they fit face is is our own mayor it's it's amazing that he has gone the route of many other former republicans which he is and used whatever excuse he could to cut services and not even talk about raising taxes on these wealthy people who put him in office but that's another story for another time so mm-hmm. before we before we turn to one of the your stories in the new york in the NYC briefs, you've got a lot of immigration stories. You've put it. You've got a lot of stories about Palestine and the whole war over there, and we're mm-hmm. going to get to those. But I mm-hmm. wanted to focus on one of your NYC briefs, and that was not. That was. They get the title here, Kowalski Trawick, Killer Cops Cleared, Family Blames Rigged System. So. Tell us about that. This story has been dragging on and on for months and almost years. So what, what's been going on and what finally happened? Right, and it, it's still not quite over, but we're nearing the end point of what uh, really has to be one of the most uh, egregious uh, NYPD uh, misconduct cases in, in recent history. And it's a little bit complicated, the, the bureaucratic processes that have uh, unfolded around it. Uh, so just bear with me a little bit here. Uh, I, I kind of walk through it. Uh, uh, Kowalski uh, uh, Trawick uh, was killed uh, in his own kitchen uh, uh, while cooking dinner in 2019. Uh, 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 Kowalski Trawick was a 32-year-old uh, gay black, black man who was living in uh, supportive housing in the Bronx uh that uh, provides lodging for uh, emotionally uh, disturbed uh, people, and he, but he was living on his own. And he had a situation where 
he uh, accidentally locked himself out of his apartment uh, one evening while he was cooking dinner, and he uh, went around uh, banging on some of the doors of his neighbors and his supervisors trying to get help to get back into his apartment. Um, eventually, uh, the uh, fire department showed up, and uh, you know, there was, a, I guess, a 911 call, and, and they showed up and, and, and were able to get him back into his apartment. At the same time, a call had gone out to the NYPD. Um, there was this individual that was banging on doors and whatnot. Anyway, uh, long after uh, Trawick was back in his apartment cooking his dinner, two NYPD officers uh, showed up at his door. Uh, one, uh, his name was Brendan Thompson, and the other Herbert Davis. Uh, Thompson was white, Davis was black. Uh, Thompson was the uh, less experienced of the two cops. Anyway, uh, they started banging on his door, and Treywick told them <laughs> basically to get lost. They didn't need their help. He was already back in his home. Uh, the, the cops didn't take well to that, and they uh, basically kicked down his door <laughs> and entered his apartment. And uh, and they encountered Treywick uh, standing in his kitchen cooking dinner, and he did have a knife in his sandwich, uh, uh, agitated uh, one of the uh, Thompson in particular, the younger of the two cops, and and, and Treywick was well, yeah, I'm holding a knife because I'm cooking my dinner. <laughs> I want you to get out of here. And uh, anyway, the the, the uh, confrontation quickly escalated, and, and Thompson first uh, tased um, uh, Treywick, which is incredibly painful. Treywick ran out of the kitchen, then he came back in, still holding his knife, telling the cops to leave, and uh, one thing quickly led to another, uh, with Treywick standing in the kitchen and the cops standing just inside his doorway. And Thompson shot Treywick four times, uh, fatally, and he basically uh, died and bled out in his own kitchen. And this all happened uh, in less than two minutes. Uh, so the cops played the role of uh, judge, jury, and executioner very swiftly. And uh, this was uh, all captured on... Uh, a video on the little cameras that uh, cops you know wear, and uh, however, uh, any semblance of justice has been uh, repeatedly uh, thwarted since then. Uh, the um, uh, Bronx uh, District Attorney Darcel Clark uh, took her sweet time uh, investigating the matter, um, and after about uh, a year and a half, uh, she uh, ruled that she would not. Uh, be uh, filing any charges. However, uh, by the time when at the time she uh, released her decision, uh, the NYPD was still holding on to the video. She had never had access to all these videos, and it was only after she said that uh, she would not uh, prosecute the cops that the video was uh, released. <laughs> you know, uh, so then at the same so uh, the prospects for criminal charges against the two cops uh, were already dead. And then uh, we have something in New York called the Civilian Complaint Review Board that investigates uh, allegations uh, of police uh, misconduct. Uh, and this would definitely have you know, fell under their uh, purview. And, and they can rule on whether uh, police officers uh, should be fired or otherwise disciplined with lesser punishments like a loss of vacation days in, in less egregious cases and um, so they uh, began investigating this uh, case once the videos came out but the fact that the NYPD had sat on the videos for 19 months uh, undermined the CCRB because they have to file charges against uh, the cops within two years of an incident um, being report, uh, initially reported and by the time they filed charges against uh, Thompson and Davis, the two cops. Uh, they had missed their their, their deadline, and it, by doing so, it, it greatly raised the bar of proof in the administrative trial that they, that uh, then occurred. The CCRB, uh, you know, they can investigate a case and, and, and essentially uh, file an internal charge within the department, and then the department holds an administrative trial that's presided over by a, essentially a functionary, 
uh, a deputy commissioner uh, who uh, for these kind of matters. And then that after that administrative trial happens, uh, the the final decision is made by the police commissioner on what to do with officers in a case like this. Uh, and so in the administrative trial, because of the delays with the release of the video and the missed deadlines, uh, the, the uh, functionary, Rosemary Maldonado, uh, declined to uh, make any recommendation for any punishment of the police because she cited these missed deadlines. Um, and uh, it was a rather remarkable proceeding that occurred back in the summer. Our, we had a reporter, John Tufel, who was there, John once upon a time worked at the CCRB, so he had a very intimate understanding of what was happening, and it was basically a farce. And uh, ultimately, in September, uh, late September, Rosemary Maldonado issued her ruling and saying she wouldn't uh, uh, she would not recommend the two officers being fired despite uh, their actions. And uh, so now the, the final decision rests with uh, Police Commissioner uh, Edward Caban, who took over for uh, Kichan Sewell when uh, she left the department this summer. and But the thing is, uh, it's a little bit of a dodge because ultimately uh, the, it's really the mayor uh, who has the final say because the police commissioner works for him. <laughs> and, and and by saying that the commissioner is making the decision, it allows a, a mayor to, uh, you know, avoid... Uh, taking the political flack if the commissioner uh, chooses to protect his own cops from any accountability. And, and uh, Adams has recently been uh, quizzed about all this, and, and he's basically saying, well, we just need to let the process go its course, and then I'll um, have some comment. Um, he's refused to meet with the parents of Kowalski, Trawick, who have uh, concluded and, and stated very clearly they think the whole process is rigged. And so we face the prospect of these two uh, officers uh, being back on the street, I guess, at, at some point. They're certainly not uh, looking like they're going to face any consequences uh, for what happened. And the worst the worst that can happen now, according to your article, is is a hearing on, on simple assault that doesn't even come close to the deaths, the actual killings. Right. And... and uh, yeah, and they, I mean, they didn't even follow their own, you know, uh, police protocols like for how you deal with emotionally disturbed uh, individuals. I mean, they, they, at every point they escalated uh, the situation when they could have de-escalated. I don't know, and, uh, I mean, Thompson was the main one escalating it, and, and there were a couple of times where Davis was basically trying to calm him down as he became more agitated. Uh, but ultimately, Davis... <laughs> I mean, Davis uh, helped, uh, you know, knock the door down and was there as well and um, basically uh, was an onlooker when his partner uh, murdered this individual while he was, uh, I guess, uh, guilty of cooking while black in his own kitchen. That's a that's a good one. So I want folks to be able to see the video. You, you must see it. I've watched it many times. If you go to the search engine, put in something like YouTube and first name Kowaski, K-A-W-A-S-K-I, Trawick, T-R-A-W-I-C-K, K-A-W-A-S-K-I, T-R-A-W-I-C-K, and see for yourself. And the other officer, the senior officer does tell the junior officer to put the gun away, but doesn't do anything to control or prevent what ultimately happened. You're listening to WBAI 99.5 FM in New York City, streaming live and available on demand at WBAI.org. The program is Good Morning Nueva York. I'm your host, King Downing. We will be here till 7 a.m. Michael G. Haskins is in studio engineering. And we're talking to John Tarleton, editor-in-chief of the Independent, I-N-D-Y-P-E-N-D-E-N-T, their latest issue is out. Go to independent.org. There's an online version, and there's also a print version at a mailbox near you. And we're going to be opening up the phone lines. If you have any comments about the Treywick case, about the Independent, maybe you're a reader. Maybe you've been part of one of the stories. Anything that you'd like to ask John Tarleton or any comment that you would like to make, 
The number to call into is 212-209-2877. 212-209-2877. The listening line is brought to you by WBAI's buddies and WBAI's members. People who have listened and decided that they're going to support the station that brings them information in a way that they cannot get it anywhere else. Go to give to WBAI.org, any way you want to spell to, WBAI.org. Make a pledge as a member of as little as $25. Larger donations from you get you greater gifts from us. Music, health products, films, all sorts of things. So become a member, renew your membership. You can also call 212-209-2950, 212-209-2950. Our listener line is also brought to you by our WBAI buddies, people just like you who have set up a monthly donation from their bank accounts to WBAI's bank accounts, bringing in much-needed monthly income. So draw the line and make your move. We have not had any stations in this area that have covered police brutality and the ongoing drama. Many stations cover the shootings and whether there's an indictment or not, but not taking you step by step through the delays, the anguish of the families, the protests, giving the families voices. Nowhere else can you hear that but here. This is the place to go to for all of that, along with The Independent which also has its show on Tuesdays from 5 to 6 p.m. So, make your pledge, join the station, and then call us with your question or comment, 212-209-2950. So now I want to turn to the, the main feature. You know what? Let's go to a call, and then we'll turn to the main topic of this, of this last issue. And I want to talk about the idea of apartheid. So let's take a call now. Good morning, caller. What's your name? Where are you calling from? What's your question or comment? Thank you. It's Russell up in White Plains. And I'd like to ask John something related to the issue on apartheid. Is this issue covering the friendly fire incident on October 7th in which most of the Israelis were killed by Israeli police and the Israeli army? The Israelis are telling us lies because there's a consciousness of guilt. And I just hope that John is covering the friendly fire instance where Israeli gunships and tanks were killing hostages and the, and the, the Hamas. Please, John, tell us you're going to cover this. Thank you. Okay. Before you, before you answer, John, I want to make sure we get our second caller in before we go to the break. So I'll take that, and then we'll uh, give both of them answers. Okay, let's go to our second caller. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Briefly, because we want John t- to have time to answer. What's your question or comment? Uh, my name is Denise. I'm calling from Brooklyn. I greatly appreciate your program because you tell, you show us how to get some joy out of our city with the activities that you introduce. And John, my brother, thank you so much for your efforts. My, my uh, question and statement is, since you cover step by step the murders of people, innocent people, or people who should not be murdered, please start covering step by step how the average person can empower themselves to change that, uh, perhaps supporting the uh, Civilian Review, go- uh, review go- um, Board and, and other vehicles that are in place that the average person may not even know about and would be willing to participate in. We have to figure out how to empower the 99%. And then finally, please cover what is happening in our country. We are losing our democracy. We're going to have to understand what we need to do on an incremental level in order to retrieve it. Thank you so much. Thanks. Have a great day. Thanks, Denise. Okay, so so um, so yeah, maybe brief, briefly, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. So um, uh, yeah, regarding uh, the uh, videos and evidence that's uh, starting to come out of, about the Israeli uh, role in, in uh, uh, killing some of the people who uh, died on October seventh, uh, the current issue we have out on the streets, uh, we published that before uh, really this evidence started to. Um, become more prevalent. Uh, so we don't have anything about it in our current issue. We certainly have a lot of other uh, important coverage. Uh, it's something we'll continue to track. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, we try to cover things where uh, we can, you know, sort of uh, add some uh, value to the story. Um, the, you know, that story is primarily being driven by uh, the evidence that's slowly 
being, I guess, released or aired through the Israeli media. So definitely something to continue to be aware of, um, uh, for sure, uh, with this terrible war going on. Uh, and then as far as uh, Denise's uh, questions, uh, yeah, the, the problem with uh, police discipline is it's a very central, centralized uh, and unaccountable process uh, at this time. There are people who have uh, advocated uh, for uh, giving the uh, Civilian Complaint Review Board autonomy uh, from the NYPD and the ability to enforce its own verdicts and not uh, run uh, everything through a department that's determined to protect its own officers. So that would be the key reform that needs to happen. Uh, the politicians, city council, the mayors over the decades have generally been very uh, reluctant to challenge that core power of the NYPD over who uh, disciplines uh, police officers. But that's the John. We that have need to be one. We have to leave it. We have to leave it there. But John is going to be back for the second half of the program, and that's the reason why we stretch it out this time because we always feel like the clock is running against us. So he'll be back for the second half after some messages. So stay with us. FM, WBAI, New York. Get ready for the African Diaspora International Film Festival 2023, November 24 to December 10. Experience award-winning films, lively Q&As, and catered receptions. Come discover M.K., Mandela's Secret Army, and historical drama, Hope of Escape. For more information, visit NYADIFF or call 212-864-1760. ADIFF, where black life matters. November 24 to December 10. Don't miss it. If you're just joining us, welcome back to Good Morning Nueva York. Well, that doesn't make sense. If you're just joining us, I will welcome you to Good Morning Nueva York. And if you've been listening, welcome back. I'm your host, King Downing. We will be here till 7 a.m. Michael G. Haskins is engineering in studio. In the background, the live version of I Heard It Through the Grapevine by Marvin Gaye. And whenever you hear this, you'll know that this person is our guest. And the intro is... Before the Internet was TV, before TV, radio, before radio, the telephone, before the telephone, the newspaper, before the newspaper, the grapevine, hence Marvin Gaye's song. Well, a monthly newspaper 
physical and online versions, calls itself a free paper for a free people. Its latest issue has come out, and it's available right now online and in newsstands. Its editor-in-chief joins us with the top stories, again, for the second half of the program. We will be talking about immigration and Malcolm X and apartheid, and we'll take your calls. And we know we have one caller standing by already, and we will get to you. Joining us again, he was here in August, is John Tarleton, editor-in-chief of The Independent. And I pronounce it that way because it's I-N-D-Y-P-E-N-D-E-N-T. And if you're one of our Play at Home audience... Go to independent.org right now, and you can see the online version of the issue. Independent and John also have the Independent News Hour right here on WBAI on Tuesdays, tomorrow from 5 to 6 p.m. And we talked earlier about the Kowalski Trawick killer, cops being cleared. And we're going to move on now, and we're going to get to the apartheid story, but I wanted to cover another headline and this was man falsely convicted of Malcolm X's murder files groundbreaking lawsuit to expose FBI's COINTELPRO abuses and that was in the Independent on November 21st written by Theodore Hamm so John tell us about this story yeah it's a uh, it's a real doozy so uh, uh, attorneys for uh, Muhammad Aziz uh, have filed uh, a $40 million lawsuit uh, that names 19 FBI officials who were, uh, they say, were involved in the uh, uh, the murder in- investigation and cover-up of the uh, assassination of Malcolm X in 1965. Uh, Aziz uh, was one of the people uh, convicted of that crime and spent many uh, decades in prison. However, uh, it... it in recent years, it's come out uh, that the FBI essentially covered up exculpatory evidence uh, that uh, would have uh, uh, led to Aziz uh, not being convicted back when the trial occurred in 1966. And apparently, uh, part of their motivation was to protect uh, the uh, relationship the FBI had with a man named William Bradley, who also uh, went by William 25X. Uh, he apparently was an FBI informant at that time and was one of the five men uh, from the Newark Mosque of the Nation of Islam that actually carried out uh, the murder of Malcolm X at the Audubon uh, Ballroom in Upper Manhattan on February 19, 1965. Uh, so uh, part of what this lawsuit is seeking to do, besides uh, gaining uh, monetary uh, compensation uh, for Mr. Aziz for all his years of being falsely imprisoned, but is to also uh, show an overall pattern and practice uh, of the FBI uh, in its uh, infamous Co-Intel program, uh, which um, uh, you know led to all sorts of uh, uh, terrible uh, surveillance and even outright uh, killings of activists in the in the 1960s. Uh, most, most famously, uh, Fred Hampton, the Black Panther leader in Chicago. That was carried, killed in 1969 uh, in his own home uh, in a hail of uh, bullets, and and the, the the FBI's role in that is fairly well established. The FBI, of course, was closely surveilling and harassing Martin Luther King. And anyway, um, in this lawsuit, they cite the Fred Hampton case. They cite the case of another Black Panther leader, Geronimo Pratt, uh, who was in, uh, 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 falsely. Uh, convicted on murder charges and spent decades in prison. So they're trying to uh, really uh, get to the bottom of what uh, the FBI uh, was doing in that era and uh, so we can better understand uh, their role in all of this. And, uh, you know, the question is, you know, will the judge, you know, allow the the discovery process to uh, move forward in an expeditious way or will uh, government lawyers... Uh, on behalf of the Department of Justice and the FBI, uh, stall this thing out. Uh, but certainly a very bold legal move by uh, Mr. Aziz's uh, legal team here to try to um, not only win some compensation for him, but really uh, air out everything that the FBI was doing in that era so we can understand it better. Mm-hmm. And just a, just a note, 
discovery is a legal process where Mr. Aziz and his attorneys are able to file requests with the government to turn over documents that are related to the allegations in the case, yes. and they would be able to get tapes, names, um, all sorts of documents, and that should be an, an interesting battle. Now, my understanding is that the, the conviction was overturned by Cyrus Vance, who was the junior, who was the DA at that time, but the reason that he gave for initiating the investigation was, believe it or not, some media, and that's the reason why I'm going to slip this in. We're always trying to get people to support WBAI and other media because of their role in bringing about uh, justice. And it all supposedly started with a documentary film, a series on Netflix, Who Killed Malcolm X? And it was produced by activist Abdur Rahman Muhammad, who began his own investigation that led to the film. Let's listen to the trailer. this man's courage to say this stuff it changed the entire trajectory of my life he was becoming a figure that transcended the nation of islam it was politics that really started the rift between malcolm and the nation the white man is the greatest hate teacher that ever lived the fbi was deathly afraid of someone like Malcolm X. What kind of democracy is that? People had to start wondering if something happens to Elijah Muhammad and Malcolm becomes the leader, it's over for all of us. And uh, just then the gunfire went off. Malcolm's death never sat right with me. The investigation was a failure. Asking who's guilty is a dangerous question to ask. What is the real story? It's in the history book. Leave it there. Leave it alone. Elijah Muhammad told everybody, do not raise a hand against Malcolm X. He didn't have to give the order. Someone would take care of it. The FBI should have known. Why doesn't someone want to get to the bottom of this? They never had any intentions of seriously investigating that assassination. That is my mission. I'm not going to stop until I get justice. Because the official count of who killed Malcolm X, it's not true. having some some technical challenges here but that was who killed malcolm x by abdur rahman muhammad i want to let you know you're listening to wbai 99.5 fm in new york city streaming live and available on demand at wbai.org the program is good morning nueva york i'm your host king downing we'll be here till 7 a.m michael g haskins is engineering in studio and we're going to open up the phone lines now. If you have a question or comment, you can call in at 212-209-2877, 212-209-2877. The listening line is brought to you by the members and buddies of WBAI, and we hope you'll join them by making a donation. You can go to give to WBAI.org, give to WBAI.org, and make a donation. As a member, for as little as $25, you can join. And larger gifts give you great products, give you great gifts, music, CDs, health products. In fact, one of the pledges you can still find is there are all sorts of packages on Malcolm X with his speeches and books about him if you go there. And this is a station that has been covering Malcolm X since he first came on the scene and through all the controversy with the nation and his leaving and his independence and all of that has been well covered on this station for 60 years. You can also support the station by becoming a WBAI buddy and having an automatic transfer of as little as $15 a month from your account to WBAI's account provide much needed, much needed monthly income. So join the folks who are supporting the station that brings you the story 60 years later, even as it continues, and bringing on the people like the independent who cover the stories and then come on and report to us. So join that group. Go to 212 209 2950. 
212-209-2950. And before we go back to John Tarleton, editor-in-chief of The Independent, we're going to take a call. And this caller may still have a question about the first segment, but may have a question about the new segment. So, caller, you're on the air. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Your question or comment? Good morning. This is Miriam from Neurochelle. How are you guys doing? Hi. Hi, Miriam. Doing great. This is great. And, and King, this is why we always have to have you. I miss you so much when, you, when you're not on the air. You always have this um, on-time information. So um, do your best to always be on the air. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. So, you know, in the Rochelle, we recently had another police shooting. And um, we're stuck in this again. Um, you know, we're waiting for an investigation because because the um, gentleman was killed. He he went to a supermarket. I guess he took a banana. Police were called. Next thing you know, the man is shot dead on um, in on the steps of of a, of a local church, um, which is really sad. Um, the thing is, is now the attorney general is investigating, so our local police department is like, oh, we can't say anything because the attorney general has to investigate and it's under their jurisdiction, blah, blah, blah. So the community is left, and this is after, this is three years to the date after the police killed another young man after one of those, you know, famous, um, infamous traffic stops that yielded to nothing, but they ended up killing a young man. Um the problem is, is that we we're left waiting for information. We never get the any um, you know details of the investigation, and um, we 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 as a community are are left with a lot of questions, even more questions after their rulings, which is usually that it was justified, and 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 just want to understand how could we. Um, get information from the police department sooner. Who needs to investigate it and understand what's going on because they need to use it to reform how their police practices um, contribute to these deaths. It's not just what the victims do. Miriam, I'm going to, I'm going to, before I turn it to John for his reaction, I'm going to ask you to email me and let's talk about more of the information. You can email me at king at wbai.org, king at wbai.org, and let's let's figure out what's going on there, what has happened in the past that, that, that I have worked on these kinds of issues. And we have actually brought up to Westchester some of the families from New York, such as the uh, Trawick family, which may be willing to come up there. And that has opened up eyes because... It happens so quietly compared to when it happens in New York City that sometimes they need a little wake-up. So if you're okay with that, email me and we can talk more about it. John, what's your take? Well, a couple of things, King, and, and maybe you can help me here a little bit too, but uh, as, as I recall, uh, one of the reforms that was instituted after the surge of Black Lives Matter protests in 2020 uh, was uh, to put... Uh, the attorney general's office in charge of investigations into police killings, I think, in uh, all of New York, outside of New York City. Uh, so you have all these uh, counties, historically, where the district attorney uh, would be investigating the cops, and there is tremendous conflict of interest because the DA's office works on a regular basis with the police and uh, has a lot of incentives to not uh, uh, ruffle any feathers in their local police department. Of course, <laughs> that law is only uh, as good as the uh, intentions and, and the um, sense of urgency in the attorney general's office. There's at least the possibility of a little bit more independence, but if they're not really uh, moving in a in a uh, you know fast and decisive way, then that that reform isn't accomplishing much, which is what uh, Miriam seems to be describing here. Uh, I would just say that, uh, yeah, these investigations and these bureaucratic processes, yeah, it can often just turn into a way uh, to freeze out the public and, and sort of uh, frame everything 
uh, in, in this legal mumbo jumbo and, and, and basically sidelined uh, the public. Uh, you know, what we saw, uh, especially in the George Floyd protests of 2020, is when you, and in the Black Lives Matter protests, uh, really, uh, you know, in those years from roughly 2014 to 2020, when you have a highly uh, engaged public demanding a justice uh, vocally, repeatedly, in large numbers, uh, that uh, can move the dial as well. That ultimately, you meet, you know, so-called uh, it's really a contest of power and of course the police have tremendous power uh, which is re- reflected in their ability to obfuscate and dodge accountability we began to see the slightest signs of accountability in some of these uh, police murder cases at the height of the black lives matter protest and that's maybe what we're going to need to see again at some point is a more uh vocal and larger public protests. That really seems so far to be the only thing that has uh, moved the needle at all in these matters. Yeah, great, great response. It reminds me of Frederick Douglass saying, power concedes nothing without a demand, never has, never will. Yes. <laughs> Excuse me, Miriam, I hope you'll, I hope you'll uh, email me, king at wbai.org, and that applies to anyone. Any questions or comments about the program, any programming ideas, uh, anything you want me to pass along to John, and you can go to to the Independence website, independent, I-N-D-Y-P-E-N-D-E-N-T dot org. So let's turn to the question of apartheid, which got a good bit of coverage in your latest issue which folks can find online at the link I just gave. So so tell us about apartheid and how it has transitioned or how it's similar from South Africa to what's going on today. Yeah, one of our one of the best articles in our, our current issue, which does have a lot of Palestine Israel coverage, uh, is this article by uh, Ellen Davidson, longtime contributing writer at the Indies. She's also uh, a longtime uh, peace and anti occupation uh, activist. She's uh, Jewish herself, and she has made uh, multiple trips to the West Bank, uh, where Israel really has uh, created an apartheid uh, system. That, that uh, There's people in South Africa who lived through the apartheid system there who have visited and said this is so, uh, not only so familiar, but even uh, more uh, overbearing and, and disempowering than the apartheid system we had to deal with in the you know, 1960s, 70s, 80s, etc. And, uh, I mean, some key features of the Israeli system uh, in the West Bank, where there's roughly uh, three, mal- 3 million uh, Palestinians, is uh, really complete uh, control over their mobility. There's over uh, 600 military checkpoints. Uh, people have uh, their ID uh, their their ID cards uh, basically uh, that show where their hometown is really uh, determine how much they can even uh, move around it, with all these military checkpoints uh, just traveling a few miles can be a, uh, a really uh, difficult and humiliating experience as the Palestinians have to move through uh, one uh, checkpoint after another at the same time Israeli citizens with their uh, license plates, their yellow license plates on their cars, have a, 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 a system of modern highways where they can zip uh, in and out of uh, the West Bank and over to uh, you know the proper part of Israel, uh, no problem. And of course, uh, there's tremendous disparity in how resources are allocated. Uh, the Israeli settlements uh, use tremendous amounts of water. So you can have a situation in the summer where the Israeli uh, families are splashing around in their swimming pools, and the Palestinians can barely access any water at all. You have a lot of land theft issues, of course, as more settlements are built, and the whole and the whole legal system under <laughs> military rule and uh, this apartheid system really. Uh, I mean, thousands of Palestinians end up uh, in jail uh, with their uh, with no uh, legal hearing at all, and. Uh, and of course, they have no right to vote or anything like that. The Palestinian so, Authority. So how does that? 
So how does that compare to the South African experience? There are people who are too young to have experienced that while it was going on. I think it, it it's very similar. I mean, essentially, uh, I mean, the South African people had no uh, say in uh, voting on the or the, the black South Africans who were 85% of the population had no uh, uh, say in voting on the government that controlled their lives. They had uh, few, if any, legal rights. Uh, they were uh, basically con- confined to a very uh, small part of the overall territory uh, of their nation as their land was uh, stolen from them. They, uh, you know, all the resources like schools and hospitals were inferior uh, to the uh, what the white South Africans had. Um, and their and their mobility was closely uh, surveilled and, and uh, watched over in terms of their ability to move uh, around as well with the pass laws that existed in the apartheid era. So it's a it's, it's actually a very very similar arrangement. And uh, uh, on the West Bank, um, like in Israel uh, as a whole, in the land between the river and the sea, uh, the population is about equally fifty percent. Uh, Jewish and Arab, uh, but in, on the West Bank, uh, the uh, Palestinians are the uh, still like I think probably seventy-five, eighty percent of the population, but they're completely uh, under the thumb on a day-to-day uh, level uh, to the Israeli occupiers, and they have sort of a pseudo uh, government, the Palestinian Authority that was established thirty years ago, but is basically a subcontractor to the Israelis. The Palestinian Authority really has no authority. <laughs> It's basically a, a government of uh, stooges working for the Israelis, and um, and that was also a, a feature in South Africa, where they set up what we now know as re- referred to, you know, as Bantustans, these sort of fake, uh, you know, territorial governments uh, that did the bidding of the South African government, and but really had no power uh, and no ability uh, to help or protect their own people. John, Feeling Good is playing in the background, and what that means is that we have really chewed through this time, and I'm so glad that you were able to spend an hour with us. We were able to cover a lot more of the topics in The Independent. John Tarleton, Editor-in-Chief of The Independent, I-N-D-Y-P-E-N-D-E-N-T. Go to independent.org for their online version. And then go to a newsstand and get the paper version, because there are some things that are posted that you won't see in the physical paper. So thanks for joining us. We're going to have you back again. And folks, that wraps up our show. That wraps up our show. I hope you have a great week and make it start today. I'll see you later.